Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. Uh, kia ora, kia ora tefano. Araha tefano. It's great to be with you. No, I didn't fly up. Um, I spent three days with Johnny at a conference this week with the Australian Baptist leaders and then spent the weekend at Hunua Falls. Yeah, old campsite. Yeah, old campsite. <laughs> with a bunch of our missional leaders here in New Zealand who are just dreaming and planning and scheming about where God's leading them in mission. So no, I didn't. I'm just... But this was why I came, Shannon. All those other things were just add-ons. Yeah. <laughs> This is why I choose to come here. No, it's really, really good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm an ex-pastor, so I can't help do this. I um, just want to add a little bit to the time, open time. That Was it Greg who was leading? Yeah. Thank you. Um, there's a real sense there of Scripture coming through, wasn't there? A sense of um, the Thessalonians passage about that deep hope and the passage from Hebrews about that deep peace, being anchored in that hope. And then uh, the psalm being planted like a tree of, by, by living water. But there's also Doreen's word about the friendship of God and the closeness of God. And then the verse from Song of Songs about how we are God's beloved and we, God is our beloved. And there's something in this, eh? That's reminding us of who we are with God. Um, and as we were praying and singing, and I appreciate very much your worship, um, I know I want to talk about renewed together and being renewed. And so I felt to share with you something that came through this week for me very strongly. Because I think many of us are tired. I could add up my week and say I'm tired because of the week that I've had. And if you got a few nights sleep and I'll be back to, you know, hopefully back to normal. But I'm not talking about that kind of tiredness. I'm sensing a tiredness which is deeper. It's been a wearying time for all of us. And I'm not talking about this week. I'm talking about this month and the month before and the month before and the month before and the month before the month before. And when we were with, with the Australians, Johnny led a time with an American professor whose name was Todd. I can't remember the last bit. but And he quoted a poet, David White. And I'd read this quote many years before. He said, when we're tired, the remedy... The way through deep tiredness isn't necessarily a holiday or necessarily lots of sleep. It's living wholeheartedly. And Jesus said something similar when we've got a split focus and we're trying to worship two gods. You know, it doesn't work. And I think in our churches across New Zealand, that is a word for us. There is a deep tiredness, but rushing to be on holiday or rushing to do these other things, good as they are, doesn't settle the deep longing in us that only a wholeheartedness and the sort of relationship that Doreen was expressing will actually fill that tiredness. Anyway, that's not what I came for. <laughs> but being an old preacher, you just got to, you know, sense what the Spirit's saying. Being renewed together. 
Um, what I want to do this morning is I just want to open up a story from the time that I had in India in March this year. Sorry, Glenn. Sorry, Johnny. They've heard this before, but you can doze off for this one. Um, and then I want to open up the passage of Scripture, which is down for today, about um, Jesus' respectful relationships with people. I want to give you a piece of information and hopefully end with a piece of inspiration. So, will this work for me? No. Oh, there it is. So it was in India uh, March this year, and India is this wonderful place. It, it's got all these beautiful, beautiful smells of spice markets and disgusting smells of human degradation. It's got beauty of coloured saris and the poverty of what's going on in the world there. Doesn't like me much, does it? There it is. But the place I really wanted to go to was a place... Is this being filmed? It is. Okay, it's a place in northern India. I'd tell you the name if it wasn't being filmed, but we have to be far more careful now with the Modi government about how we locate people and we locate places. But some of you who have been following NZBMS for some time will know exactly where I'm talking about. So you keep that in your mind and that's exactly fine. But this is one of the states in northern East India where New Zealanders have been involved since 1934. For many, many years, New Zealand uh, mission leaders and other mission leaders had tried to get into this state. It was a princely state, and they hadn't been able to get in. And this couple, Malcolm and Catherine Ede, managed to uh, meet one of the officials of the Maharaja of this state and got access to write a letter to the Maharaja and eventually to meet the Maharaja, or at least one of his officials, and were allowed to go in. Now, this was not a poverty-stricken state. This was not a backward state. The Maharaja who gave them permission to go in, I think the 137th Maharaja of that princely state, built this temple, or this palace, for his city palace. He also had a much bigger holiday palace, a few k down the road. And this particular palace, of which about half of it is on the photo and about a third of the gardens that surround it, they built in two years from woe to go, which on New Zealand standards isn't that um, bad in terms of speed, even today. And this Maharaja let the New Zealanders come in and to set up a mission work, he gave them 45 acres of land to do that work on and he promised his protection and he gave them the freedom to share their faith in Christ with these people. So when I got up there in March this year, this is the reality um, 84 years on. There's 997 Baptist churches there that Papa back to you and say it's the New Zealand Baptists that established us and started our community of churches. Now, we are here in New Zealand about 240 churches, and as I do mathematics, I think 997 is bigger than 240. It is the biggest denomination in that state by a long way. And it's a strong Christian voice into a very much Hindu nation. Um, 6% of uh, India, 1.4 billion people nearly, is Christian. 94% are yet to understand and know Christ. Um, there is, during the pandemic, there are 15,000 new baptized believers in those churches during the pandemic period which is phenomenal growth, and there is enormous wholehearted commitment. If you look at the bottom line, there's 118 pastors 
And again, if you do mathematics, you can actually work out 118 doesn't go into 997 so well. Because pastors have two, three, four, five, six, seven, even more churches that they look after. Um, And the jewel of that place is this theological college. Obviously, I've blanked out the name. But there, they're training pastors. They're training evangelists. There's eight staff. They've all got masters in theology. The college has been approved for accreditation by the Serampore University system there in recent years. Two of the staff are women. While I was there, um, they opened a hostel for women that many of you gave money to to actually enable it to happen. And it was a massive celebration when this architectural statement was on the theological college ground saying, we are committed to the ongoing training of women as pastors and evangelists. You'll see in the, in the front row in that picture, this is this year's bunch of students. And this year's bunch of students includes a reasonable number of young women who are training in that commitment to Christ. And you could probably pick them, and you can probably pick me. Um, right alongside this is a school that was established in 1943. It's now got 3,000 students taught in English medium. The students hadn't been there for 18 months because of lockdown up until the week before I arrived. Not that that was anything but coincidence. Uh, And during that time, they had built a new chemistry lab, a new physics lab, a new biology lab, a new art suite, which would have been about the same size as this room. Uh, It's a growing school. And the kids who come out of this have got a quality education that enables them to go into business and finance, into uh, government, into education, into Christian roles because of what you guys and your parents and grandparents supported and started. It is exciting. And this is the kids. They were really excited to be back at school. 18 months is a long time doing schoolwork on a phone. A long time, and they were so pleased to be back at school. While the lockdown was happening, this is the old St. Paul's Boys Hostel, and the um, man El Shaddai who runs it, and in the background, but now in the foreground, is the new hostel that they've built. That's not quite complete there, but the bottom floor has got boys in it, the second floor and third floor were being um, continued to be um, constructed. Exciting stuff. Now, while I was there, I met with um, about 15 pastors who had been pastors for at least five years or more in these churches and sat down with them and said, tell me about what it's like. And they are a persecuted people. And they said to them, can I ask you, what would you want me to ask New Zealanders to pray for? And this is what they said, thank you for praying for us still today. The fact that we remember them It's something they treasure. We are fighting for our survival to sustain the gospel. We are systematically, socially, financially, administratively, religiously harassed. And they are story after story after story of the persecution they face. As Christians, we are targeted people. We serve people and become enemies of the people because of our service. We are reaching more people with the word of God and long to reach many more. Our pastors are fully committed. One pastor will typically look after five to seven churches. Pray for unity among ourselves. This is made up of many tribal groups. And it happens in India, but it would never happen here. But sometimes tribes don't always agree. 
They don't always get on. So, yeah, pray for unity among ourselves, that there are many tongues and tribes. Pray for our political leaders, most of whom are not Christian. We want to win our state for Christ. Do you mind just taking a minute in the quietness of your mind and your heart, grabbing one of those bullet points and just praying for these people? They call you family. It was a privilege to be there because they treated me like, you know, like royalty because of what New Zealand Baptists have done for decades. Take a moment to pray for one of those. Amen. Your mission, I believe, is in an exciting place. We go to the least reached, the least reached peoples of the world. We go to the most vulnerable. We go with a holistic mission that includes economic development and health care and education and neighboring well and the word of Jesus Christ. We build multi-generationally. We're not rushing in and doing something for a brief time and rushing out again. We build multi-generationally in what we do in India and in Bangladesh, like this story of 84 years. We're learning to go as a bicultural people with the strength of a bicultural kopapa. And we want to see in diverse teams, not just individuals, but diverse teams, who exhibit the life of Christ amongst the team as well as through the work they do. This is cutting-edge world mission, and you're part of it. Now, let's go to the scripture. Uh, the passage I want to talk about today briefly is a passage you know well. One day, Jesus, John chapter 4, goes um, on a route. He's heading home, and there is two options before him. One is to go around a particular area, and one, of course, is to go straight through the middle. The geographical smart way is to go straight through the middle, shortcut. But theologically and culturally, there's no way that Jesus can take the shortcut. He must take the road, the long route. Surely. But as John chapter 4 tells us, Jesus takes the road less traveled and goes right through this area of Samaria. Now, Jews for whom Jesus is part of and Samaritans loathed each other. They hated each other. Why? Because Samaritans were schismatics. It means they'd broken away from the Jewish faith and they said God needs to be worshipped on this mountain, not in Jerusalem. They were considered heretics because they only believed in the first five books of the Bible. And they didn't believe in the rest of what we now would call the Old Testament. And in a nasty kind of way, they were called mongrels because they had intermarried with people who were not Jewish. So Jesus knew that he should not go through Samaria because there were Samaritans in Samaria. Surprise, surprise. And he was going to meet these schismatic, heretic mongrels. And any good Jew would stay away. But as Jesus travels in the place that he shouldn't go, he's hot, he's tired, he's thirsty, and he sits down by a well, Jacob's well, which is recorded in the Old Testament, and out comes a woman from the town of Samaria and meets with Jesus. 
And Jesus does all the wrong things. As a man, he initiates a conversation with a woman he doesn't know. As a man, he asks a woman in public for something that he help, uh, needs help with. As a Jewish rabbi, teacher, he's speaking with a woman. We're still a Samaritan woman. Now, in the passage... Come on. There it is. If I pick up a little bit of the passage, it says this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let's just spend a moment with the well, the water, and the woman. The well, first of all. This well was Jacob's well. This well had been a dependable, reliable source of clean, fresh water for generation after generation of the Samaritan area, in the Samaritan area. This well is still there. If you went to Israel today, you can go to this well, because the neat thing about wells is they don't move. This well is still there in exactly the same place, and 20 meters down, there is still cool, fresh water. It's a reliable source of life in that region. And the thing about this well and other wells is often wells were placed where God met with people. Um, there are at least three times in the Old Testament where, special, where people meet together around a well and there's an incredibly important interaction. Um, Jacob and, and Rachel, um, Rebecca and Abraham's servant in Genesis 24, uh, Moses and the seven daughters of the priest in Exodus 2. And this woman probably didn't know, but as she's going to this ordinary place, it was a place where God had met with people, and here Jesus is going to meet with her. That's the well. Secondly, the water. Well, surprise, surprise, in the Middle East, water is just essential. It's essential for life, but it's essential for Jesus' life too. And he's baptized in water. He is, um, first miracle is turning water into wine. In John 7, he describes himself as the living water. Uh, in Revelation 22, it's the river of life-giving water that is described as being Jesus. There's some deeper re reference to water that's important here. And lastly, the woman. Now, actually, outside of what I told you before about Samaritans, we know very, very little about this woman. Uh, the night before, a man comes to Jesus to talk to him, and he's a religious leader, and we know that his name's Nicodemus. And he turns up in other places in Scripture, and we, we know a little bit about him. But this woman, we don't know her name. In fact, we only know one thing about her personally, and that is that she has been married five times, and the man that she's now living with is not a husband. That's the only bit of personal information we've got. 
Now, often we look at that and we go, oh, there's something suspect about her behavior, but maybe there isn't. You see, the sad thing about that time is that a man could divorce a woman for any reason. If his wife cooks a bad meal, it could be grounds for divorce. And she's got no comeback. And to survive as a woman in that society, you either need a father or a husband or a benefactor who's going to provide for you because there's no other way to live except really dangerous ways. And so for maybe her first husband divorces her for whatever reason. Maybe it was her fault. Maybe it wasn't. She has to marry again. And then maybe this husband divorces her and then her options really start to reduce because the more marriages she's had, the less likely she's to be chosen to be married to again. And here she is with five husbands. Her only options are the doddery and the dodgy. And this guy won't even marry her. He's just living with her. I'll put that to you because often we think it's all her choices, but culturally it may not be. Whatever the backstory is, Jesus saw it, and Jesus knew it, and Jesus met her in the face of it. Come on, there we go. No, now I've got two. I will just put two up. Okay, save me trying to push three times later. What do they talk about? Well, what do they talk about? Well, the woman does what she should do. She says, I'm Tanga de Whenua here. You're Manahiri. I fuck up back to Jacob, whose well this is. This is my Tauranga Waiwai. You shouldn't be connecting with me. She stakes her understanding in her culture. And Jesus responds with compassion. He responds with respect. He asks her for help. He accepts her gift. He talks with her openly and at a level about politics, of religion, about faith, about water, about where you should worship and where you shouldn't worship about truth. He doesn't condescend to her. He respects her. And they have a genuine, deep conversation. And she poses her questions and he tries to answer them at the level she poses them and the level of her desire that's much deeper. It is the longest conversation we have with Jesus recorded in Scripture. It's substantial. What's the outcome? Well, she runs back to the village. And she tells the people in the village, I've met someone who talked to me about living water, who spoke to the deepest desire of my soul. And what happens? So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. Jesus shouldn't even be walking through the region, let alone choosing to stay in a Samaritan village. And he stayed there two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know this man really is 
the saviour of the world. What was the outcome of Jesus meeting her and treating her so respectfully? She rushes back, she tells her village and her family and her friends and her enemies. And they invite Jesus to stay and they become a Samaritan village of believers who don't pack up and go to Jerusalem and become Jewish, but stay a Samaritan village of believers. That is remarkable. It's one of the passages that kind of does the other side of the coin of a crucial passage in the Old Testament. You know, there's a crucial passage in the beginnings of Genesis where the woman meets Satan around, a, I'm going to say an apple tree, but a fruit tree. And the outcome of that conversation is death for her and her community. And here's the other side of that coin where Jesus meets a woman at a well and the outcome of the conversation is life for her and her community. There is in this passage a reversing of a curse or a punishment that began way back here that comes through this respectful, compassionate, caring, loving relationship that Jesus offers her. What can we learn? Well, Who's our other? Who's our Samaritans? Who's the people that deep inside we feel like we shouldn't have to talk to or relate to or be concerned about? The people we'd never mention in church, but when we go home and we close the door and we're talking with the people we feel trustworthy, we say, those blimmin'. I'm talking about those people. Whoever that group is, that Jesus loves them and calls us to meet them with compassion and respect and genuine conversation about the deep longings and desires of their hearts and their lives. And that, my friends, is mission. Whether it's here in Glen Eden or some other part of New Zealand, or a different postcode that takes us overseas. The postcode is less important to what we do. And we're all invited to be part of this story. A story of life. I said I wanted to end with a couple of um, pieces of information. Information and inspiration. Let me go for information first. I want to give you a secret. It will happen in November at our National Baptist Hui. It's a secret of kind of like you're going to tell somebody, so why not tell you anyway? Because, you know, feel free to leak it. We at NZBMS have been known by many things. We've been known as NZBMS, New Zealand Baptist Missionary Society, Transend, Marketplaces, um, Banzaid, Mission World, and BMF groups. In fact, some people get so confused that they just call us the BS because they're just not sure what <laughs> it is that we are. And increasingly in the countries that we work, 
A lot of those names don't work well, particularly NZBMS. The Modi government, government doesn't react well to the word Baptist or the word missionary. China doesn't react well to the word Baptist or missionary. Um, Bangladesh, which is about 98% Muslim, doesn't react well to the words Baptist and missionary. And back here in New Zealand, we were trying to help a younger generation to take on board the, the privileged duty of what previous generations have built in Baptist mission. The words society and missionary or transcend don't help us. Imagine picking up the phone in the office and going, hi, it's Transend here. And our transgendered, trans whatever world. It just doesn't work. And so we've been faced with, what do we call ourselves for the next chapter? Not with an abandoning of the past, but a picking up and a refocusing on the, on the past so we can see into the future. And so in November, we're going to launch a new name but you can continue to call us whatever you like. Any one of those other ones will work. But for the sake of a new generation, for whom brand trust is really important, to enable us to refocus on what we're doing, we want to have a new name. And the name we've come to is the name Arotahi, which means to be focused together on one thing to be after one target together. And the together is really important for us. And the one target of gospel renewal or the work of Jesus is really important. Now, if you like NZBMS and you're like me and you're 60, I am, keep using it. We're not changing it for you. You call us what you like. We're changing it for the under 35s for whom some of those names are barriers. Piece of inspiration. Some really exciting things I'd better finish. Who's watching the clock? No. The church I worked in, there was a massive great clock right here, and there was a trapdoor here. <laughs> it worked really, really well. Inspiration. Back in 1882, when we were looking at beginning, we had a mission to Māori. And in 1885, we had a new technology of how we would raise money for our mission. We were working in India, and we were working with Māori in New Zealand. And in 1885, we had this brilliant piece of technology. It was called a cardboard box, and it was called a mission box. And when your predecessors put money in the mission box, half went to Māori mission and half went to Indian mission. And in 1888, there was a meeting of the Baptists, and they came together, and they said person in my job said, Māori are a dying race. They will soon all be gone. The future is in India. So our mission boxes carried on, but all of the money went to India, and nothing was given for Māori mission for 60 years. And then in 1948, the Baptist Union started doing some mission work with Māori, but NZBMS never got involved. Because of work that was done before me in February 2020 at the first meeting I went to, we met with the leaders of our Māori mission and the chairperson gave them a letter of apology. It was a day meeting and there were a lot of tears. 
And there was a lot of respect from the Māori leaders. Not unlike the passage that I've read to you today. And they accepted that apology graciously. Despite what was behind it so many years before. And one of the Māori leaders I remember distinctly said, Thank you. We acknowledge the apology. And we thank you for the repentant hearts that you've come with. But one of the things about repentance is it's not only about words, but it's about a change of action. Of course, biblically, he's right. So for two years, we've sat on that and worked with our Māori leaders to find an area of mission that we can support, which is cutting-edge Māori mission in New Zealand. So next year, we'll be relaunching what we're doing in Bangladesh after 137 years and relaunching Māori mission. And in Bangladesh, there's a couple there, Ross and Cindy Meyer, who've been there for 34 years, whose time is running out. They're acknowledging we won't be there forever. We need a new team. We need a team leader. We need teachers, administrators, people who can help train pastors and work in aid. And we long to send a new team. Can I pray with you? Gracious God, thank you that you come to us. You go out of your way. You treat us with respect and compassion and openness. You speak to our deepest desires. Help us to be people like you. And help us to support those who do that all around the world. Lord, bless these people. Bless them with your goodness and your love. Bless them that they may be a blessing to others. Amen. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.